today's podcast, we got a special one, a roundtable discussion. Uh, Bryce Lewis, IPF World Championship gold medalist, USAPL Raw Nationals gold medalist, reached out with an idea. Hey, have, are you familiar with this topic? And uh, I'll hand it to Bryce. He came across it, and I think it's a good one. Yeah, so um, I heard this new word that I'd never heard before, and it's called coopetition. That's not cooperation. That's not competition. It's a smashing of those two words together. Um, and it comes from the business world, uh, where two business entities can both be competing against each other and be pushing each other to higher levels. And I thought, well, I've seen that concept before in sport. And that's when rivals can both be competing against each other and elevate the sport as a whole. So I started looking around at some research papers and saw, well, yeah, that's the case where athletes can compete against each other and bring the whole sport up. And so I thought, well, that'd be something right up uh, Ryan's alley. Let me pitch it to him and see if he's interested in it. <laughs> and I was, it was right up my alley, sir. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, so look, at, I did a little research myself. Um, we'll get into it, but here's in a nutshell, what I found in terms of what it looks like in the business world, in innovation, and, um, a little bit of historical relevance, and then we'll get into it in terms of sport and bring it back to sport, but, uh, it's a freaking good topic. So essentially you have in terms of, um, competition, there's really two type of examples. So, so I'll give you two examples and they both apply to sport and both apply directly to powerlifting. But there is the, we share and grow between competitors or in this, let, let's use business first. Kafu, you have a business and I have a business and I we're do. both in, and we're both, <laughs> and we're both innovating. Now it has happened before where you have certain innovations and I have certain innovations. And if you reach out to me, you will actually agree to share your technological advances. I do the same in the interest of advancing the industry as a whole, because we have a target to meet. This can happen in an expo. This can happen with just a, t a meeting between two competitors, but we're competitors, but we have a common goal we want to meet. Now, this is one space. So I'll give you a little bit of background. For instance, Samsung Electronics and Sony formed an agreement in 2004 to share research and development and costs in an effort to both design flat screen LED televisions because they look ahead and they decide, look, we're both competitors. This is where the market's moving. We're going to get there a lot quicker if we work together. Um, it's happened again. Also, uh, uh, Ford and Toyota designed a new hybrid vehicle in 2013. Um, Apple and Microsoft team up to design a mobile operating system. You know, it's, it's happening throughout history where competitors by nature will. And this is how you, the whole industry is going to benefit. Now that's from A. Then there's now B. Whether or not you step forward and offer me information in terms of your innovations and then I offer it back, your presence alone because I know you're innovating, makes me dump more money into research and development, makes me put more hours into what we're doing and less into leisure time in a high tide raises all boats situation. So whether or not you willingly or unwillingly, you your presence can also make this happen. Okay, so there's, there's uh, going down this rabble hole of competition, it can work both ways. 
And we've seen this in sports. We've seen this in our sport where coaching services will actually sit down and take questions together and have seminars together and have free flowing information. Bryce, I know you have friends within the industry that don't necessarily aren't in the same um, outfit for coaching services in yourself, Arian. And then uh, on the flip side, there are some people where even if they're not in that room for that, that conversation, they need to catch up and they're doing their research to catch up and doing their own. So um, it kind of works in both. And um, in terms of innovation, and, and I'm just going to throw these out there, then we'll, we'll start the roundtable discussion. Um, probably no bigger of an example in not necessarily our lifetime, but let's say grandparents and parents' lifetime would have been the race to the moon in terms of innovation. Um, beginning shortly after the war, 1955, and in the early 60s, Russia was the first to, to send ships into orbit, to send a man into orbit, to send a woman into orbit, and had so many firsts. And Russia literally started putting up press releases as though this is a victory. And there's a famous quote here. I want to take it one second. Oh, let me just find this. So I'll, I'll, let me actually throw on. So the Soviet Union first successful launch, October 4th, 1957, um, then sent the first human to space with an orbital flight in April 12th, 1961. Also sent the first woman, June 16th, 1963, in numerous firsts. And then this is when, I want to get his name right, the economist Bernard Baruch said, and this is an American economist, we will devote our industrial and technological power to produce a new model of automobiles and more gadgets while the Soviet Union is conquering space. It is Russia, not the United States, who has the imagination to hitch its wagon to the stars and the skill to reach for the moon and all but grasp it. America is worried. It should be. After that statement in the public, in terms of all the press releases, America dumped their resources, and we all know how this story ends. America made it to the moon first, but it just shows you how both in business, we've seen it, and and that was cooperation that I gave a list, but also like a direct cooperation willingly, and also just the presence of, and it makes you up your game in terms of innovation. So um, I'll, I'll open it up a little bit. Bryce, I know you had done some research uh, and applied it in terms of the sports, what we've seen. Yeah, so um, the famous quote as I was looking here from a guy named Professor Gavin Kilduff from NYU uh, seems to be the leader in research in this field. And uh, one of his quotes here says, in my studies, I analyze more than 1,000 runners. Uh, I think this is great because it's an individual skill-based sport like powerlifting. So it's a little bit more applicable compared to like a team sport. And actual race results during six years. What I found was that when a runner's rival was also running in the race, this elevated their performance to the tune of roughly five seconds faster per kilometer. So on the course of a 5K race, this would come out to a 25-second improvement in race performance. That's a pretty notable improvement. And Ooh. so it's, it's, it's not only the presence of the rival generally, but when you're actively competing against them, we see this kind of boost in performance. Have you directly now, Kath, we will throw it to you here for a second. And I'm going to come to you area in terms of the coaching handling side, but have you directly seen this as a power lifter? Uh, for those who aren't familiar, Kath, we Canadian national, a three kilo champion world record breaker. 
um, at the IPF World Championships. Give us your experiences if you're showing up and you're lifting on a pose or you're showing up and you got to battle it out. Yeah, so personally, I am very competition. Like, I'm very competitive, so I need someone to motivate me. So I remember my first meet, like, I was just super motivated just because I had all the adrenaline going. But what I find with, like, what I compare Canadian powerlifting to American, I find there's so many, like, individual battles in the American side. Like, there's just so many more athletes on that side versus Canadian. Like, I don't usually have, like, one rival who is like, oh, it's going to be, like, Kathy versus this guy for the finals. So it sometimes kind of hurts your motivation when you're looking at some of the big battles versus states. So that's kind of what I see. But obviously, I'm also intrinsically motivated. But I do think it helps to kind of have those people who are very close to you, which you can kind of, you know, look up to and make sure you're kind of hitting those points or have those goals of what to achieve. You know what I'm saying? What do you, what do you guys think about um, reading up on this topic? I'd seen there was discussion on you know, there's ways of looking at it. Once coaches and parents started realizing competition is necessary. For instance, I, I just gave you in terms of innovation and business. Without competition, in, in terms of business, in terms of the innovations we have, would have been way further back. You need it. Okay. So as a child, you put them in sports so that later on in life, they learn about competition. They learn about competition. They learn about, you need your rivals. You need that. You need to be uncomfortable. You need to, that way, when you go home, you're pulling out all stops, etc. But also once you grasp that you start changing in terms of how you look at competition. And, and, and what I mean by this is, no longer is it necessarily a bitter thing. If you look at, I need to master my craft to up my game, but it's not necessarily in a bitter front. Now, um, Bryce, early on, have, have you changed how you view competition when you walk into it in terms of just mental prep and how you feel about approaching it? Yeah. So first I have some advice for Cafway. I think you need to start shit talking some people in your weight class. And, uh... <laughs> You know, that's never a bad thing. You'll get some rivals pretty quickly. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So there's, there's a, this progression where um, if you're below a certain level, there's not even the, the real option to have rivals because, you know, you're not competing at that high level. So as I've gotten better in powerlifting, there's more opportunities for people to kind of be head to head with um, and just kind of continue to, to thrive. And, um, I think as powerlifting competition generally has gotten more competitive, um, there are people who are closer uh, to their level. And so now even small changes in performance are, uh, are huge. And so it's, it's more important to um, come prepared. And, you know, I think competition is one thing, and that's kind of this, this small effect when you're actually at the competition but you know thinking about what you need to do in training to get you there that's where i think kind of some of these larger effects are you know like when you walk in the gym um are you training for yourself or are you thinking about your upcoming competition where you know it may be a few kilos separating you from other athletes i think that's where some of the bigger effects are is how does it affect your training irene in terms of a handling aspect here's something that i noticed when you talk to somebody who hasn't been at the world level and people fucking, they hate when I talk like this because I say I'm being elitist, um, but because some federations don't necessarily have uh, 
in a, a bigger sense, a world level. It's, it's a collection of local meats. But the reason why I say this, I have had DMs and people talking about handling is overrated. Handling is whoever's stronger is going to win. And it isn't always that. And um, when it comes to like the rule set, when it comes to the gamesmanship and game day prep, there are other factors. And you can tell by looking at comments of some of these world championship results and people are saying things that are silly. They don't even understand about putting placeholders for last deadlifts, changing opening deadlift attempts in terms of, um, you know, lot numbers and the whole nine that goes into it. And if you have chips in play, you have a chip, I have a chip, et cetera. There's a lot of gamesmanship involved. And if you're just always at a local level meet, you might be, well, we'll go nine for nine. Or you know what my theory is? Um, I don't go nine for nine because it means you didn't push yourself. So I want you to at least miss one lift. That's, these are very, that's not really a strategy. This is very simplistic. It's not, and this is what I'm saying here. I'm prepping you because these are things you say when you're lifting unopposed. You understand? It doesn't matter if anyone's there or a hundred people there within five kilo of me going nine for nine has nothing to do with that. It's same with, well, if you didn't, if you go nine for nine, it means you left something on the table. So you should probably go eight for nine. And I've heard like people say stuff like this on Instagram thinking that's my strategy. That's my, that's not even a strategy though. Love when you show up and there's a plethora of other nations and not only are the best lifters there, oh, they also have chess masters as their handlers. And they actually have strategy. They've actually crunched numbers. They know if you miss your third squat, the, pro the proximity or the likelihood of you missing your third dead, they've crunched those numbers. So they're like, oh, you missed your third squat. Well, here we go again. 75% of the time you missed your third squat, you missed your third dead. Oh, you like these kind of jumps. We know you like those kind of jumps, Jen Thompson. You start small in your opener. You take a huge jump on your second. We all know this. And we're all like... In terms of the prep that comes into it, you only have that when it's competition involved. And how much of a difference is it when you look at the local level or, you know, I'm not roughing up the small feds, but if you are only lifting in a small fed and you don't have to see this, give us a, your side from a handling perspective, what it means and what you've seen over the years in terms of competition rising. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can see the same thing on the other Fed size too, because one, it's like the higher level you go in competition, the more importance there is, but also the closer the gap is between the athletes fighting for first place, whatever, then the more importance there is on the handling side. So if you're doing some kind of like, you know, showdown meet or whatever, where everyone's battling for points for a prize and everyone's so close, then it's important that handling aspect. Because um, even if you are trying to go nine for nine and you know your athlete, sometimes it really comes down to like, okay, we, should we go this or should we go two and a half kilos more? Because one might be like, you know, 75% chance, one might be 50% chance. And it's like, well, do you risk it? Do you have information on your competitors? Um, if you fall behind, then are you going to try and catch up on bench press and deadlift? So there's all these factors that come into place. Like you said, changing the third attempt, changing the openers, and knowing the rules. Um, one interesting uh, line I saw from this uh, Indian guru is that like, if you are incompetent and in competition, then you will feel stressed. And so part of the stress that people get anxiety and stuff, whether you're an athlete or your coach is because you feel like you're incompetent. Like you said, at Worlds, there may be all these top coaches out there with years of experience. They know the rules in and out. And then you're there and you don't even know that, like how to go protest the left to the jury. Well, you're going to be feeling stressed out because you don't have the competence level as everyone else. So it is important the higher level you go and the closer the battles are to have that competence. Know the rules in and out. Know your athlete in and out. 
know your rivals in and out, and then you can make the adjustments that you need to on game day that maybe other people don't. And that's going to be the difference when it is like, you know, down to two and a half kilos or down to winning on body weight and all those little things. It really, um, it almost, it's like, unless you have your competition there, it actually doesn't even matter if you know all the rules, you know, all the, all, everything, like your competition, your, your competitors aren't even close. You're essentially lifting unopposed. So you don't need to research them. You don't need to elevate your game as a coach. Go ahead, Bryce. Yeah, just wanted to, to bring up an important clarification and just see where you all stand on this issue. So we've been talking about the competition um, and I want to bring up this idea of rivalries and ask, what's the difference between someone you compete against and someone who's actually a rival for you? Mm. You know, like what is it that separates the two? Is it uh, that you take it personally? Is it that you, you see them over and over again? You know, what, what makes someone a rival? That's interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, Kathy, have you, have you found yourself in a rivalry or do you think essentially you're just taking it on day to day? And it's like, I haven't, I haven't felt that, Oh my God, there's overwhelming pressure for a certain individual. Like there's the difference would be, I think what Bryce is saying, kind of, you show up, I want to win Canadian nationals. Doesn't mean who's there Mm -hmm. or so that's just, it's not a rival in terms of an actual rival. We have the same goal. It doesn't, it's nothing personal on you, but only one of us can take it. That's one way. Mm-hmm. Here's another mm-hmm. one. There's a fucking guy who beat you the last three years and you're lifting at a local meet. It's and who you don't care about this local meet, but he shows up and signs up now. And all of a sudden it's different. That to me would signify you got yourself a rival. <laughs> it's, it's that person in particular that's getting you going. Have you felt that yet? Do you think? I, I don't think to that capacity, like on a small level, there was, Isaac Bake, who my first nationals, he won it. And then I came third and then I ended up beating him at worlds. Then we kind of like, it was all in fun. Like we go back and forth on social media or whatnot. So he was the closest to, I'd say a rival, but then he ended up jumping up a weight class. So I was always bugging him that we need to get our our trilogy meet in. So I would say like, it wasn't like, you know, we're, we're enemies or anything. It was more kind of like a friendly rivalry. Like we've gone back and forth in competition. But does it, does it act, do you think if he came back down, would it impact you? Um, I don't think it would hugely impact me. Like when I'm training, like I like to, you know, kind of just focus on what my numbers are for each block just to kind of make sure I'm progressing to where I need to. Obviously you want to know where your competitions are and kind of have those standard goals. But there's also the situations where you get too invested in your competition or rival. And it can also throw off your own training blocks if you're not focusing on like your own numbers. You might start overshooting. So you don't want to get too far into that mindset either. And you got to find a nice fine balance. It's yeah. Well, we've seen both. So what do we think it is that makes it turn into an, a rivalry and all of a sudden you have skin in the game? Mm-hmm. And and do you actually reach a point where you think if I say this? it levels up. Let, let, let me show you guys. Let me give you guys an example. Conor McGregor early going was famous for every time he had a fight, he knew he had that ability that when, when the skin was in the game and everyone's watching, as soon as he came in the UFC, before he's even proven, he had an ungodly amount of hype. 
And he would talk tons of trash and say, I'm going to knock you out and give, called himself Mystic Mac. I had the ability to determine when I'm going to knock you out. And he leveled up in terms of the intensity. So a lot of times on the way up, a lot of these contenders who had never even fought for the title yet, excellent contenders, but they're not used to this attention. When they went against Conor McGregor, like a Dustin Poirier, early goings when they fought as contenders, he openly said, I was not ready for that. He turned it into from a competition and we have only one guy can win. So in that aspect, it's a competition to what Bryce was saying, where now it's rival. You may, there's skin in the game though. You are, you're trash talking me. You made it personal. You're saying you're going to embarrass me. Now, if you knock me out, it is an embarrassment and you're going to, it's Connor literally laughs. Um, and that skin in the game, Connor kept leveling up and he was taking guys out right up until he was in the title. And um, him and Ozealdo did a tour of the world, having a series of press conferences. And Connor kept raising the heat in, turn, in that oven and in the kitchen. And then ended up Aldo, when they end up fighting for the title, totally uncharacteristic of himself, ran across the cage, threw all pre-fight, you know, be, keeping level-headed and just played right into Conor McGregor who did, and who said before the fight, there's footage of him saying, he's going to come at me hard and I'm going to counter. He's hot, he's bothered, and this is what's going to happen. And damned if Mystic Mac didn't do exactly that. Is it just making it personal? What makes it a rivalry? Is it, is it the fact that it's personal or do you need a history? Bryce, what do you think? Yeah, I think you need a history. So I think it needs to be ongoing. I think so. You know, there's there's no research on this. It's just my own thoughts. Yeah. I mean, maybe there is, but I'm just spouting off here. Um, I think you need to see them multiple times. You know, it needs to be kind of this ongoing thing. Um, and I think you need to lose once to that person so that you have this sense that there's something to get back. There's some retribution that needs to happen you know some reason to to i don't know to fear this person it's almost like a respect for their ability you know what i mean you, you have to you have to fear their ability and i think you need to feel something when you see them you know exactly what you feel when you see them you know could could span a range of a few different feelings whether it's uh i don't know disdain or respect or some combination of the two or, you know, just kind of gets your blood boiling a little bit, but it has to mean something more than just seeing one of your competitors. What do you think, Arian? Yeah, I think Bryce makes a, a good point there that it has to be some kind of history. It doesn't have to be necessarily bad history. I think people sometimes will see rival and see it as like, oh, that's my enemy or I hate this person. But I think that's where the bitter rival comes. So there's a difference between like a bitter rival and like a worthy rival. Um, and then also there's differences between um, so Simon Sinek, this guy from uh, the business world, talks about the finite game versus the infinite game. And so there's different strategies there, like a finite game. Like if you're John Jones versus Daniel Cormier, there's going to be, you know, talking and that psychological aspect. And you might be like bitter rivals against each other. But eventually that ends. You, you can't do that forever. Eventually they go fight other people versus the infinite game. There might be rivals like uh, I was thinking for the NBA, the, the Celtics and the Lakers for decades and decades. They were rivals of each other. Players may change, the management may change, but they always see each other as rivals. Part of it is because they see each other as worthy rivals. One has beat the other one at the at the championship. They know that their staff is good at you know 
recruiting players and they get good coaches and they always have top level teams. And so they see that someone is at their level or above their level and they see that as a, a worthy rival. So I think there, yeah, there has to be some kind of history there, some kind of back and forth, may one beat the other one. That's why in, in a lot of sports like the NFL, you usually within your division, you see it as a rival because you play them twice a year, every single year, and then you may see them again in the playoffs. So that's where like the fans of those teams always see each other as rivals. It doesn't matter who's on whose team, what the records are. We want to beat them. I can, I can tell you right now, um, Muhammad Ali talked about this. And, and, and this perfectly ties into the discussion we just had. So just like McGregor early on, you know, Ali was, I am the greatest. He was the original in terms of giving predictions and what he's going to do. I'm going to take you out of this round, take you out of that round and had a bunch of bravado. And it felt like at least in terms of skin in the game and emotional investment to every contest, he raised the level. However, he himself said exactly what you just said, where he's like, when I was undefeated and running in my, my mouth and making every competition, so to speak, a rivalry, it wasn't until I took my first loss that everything changed in, in terms of my training, in terms of how I approached. He said, the reason why is I emptied everything I had and only when you lose, are you going to empty the tank? And these, listen, the, the results we're showing here that Bryce was showing in terms of, uh, you know, me sharing the, those studies showed that when you're with someone else and you keep emptying and keep digging deeper and deeper into that well, if I had to stop at 10 feet deep and I'm winning, I'll stop at 10 feet deep and take the win, even if I thought I only had nine feet in me. But guess what? If I'm not winning, but I start losing and I keep digging deeper and losing and I keep digging further and further deeper, Muhammad said, only after I lost, did I fucking deep to levels that I never thought I had had to sit in that room and say, my God, a, I dug deeper than I ever did in a win. And I thought I dug deep in my wins. I didn't. When you have to, you'll dig deeper. B, I need to level up because I just lost now. It's a little different. Yes. There was trash talking before. Yes. I made it heated. It's a little different now that I lost and I have to come back. Total reevaluation. Bryce, you want to say something? Yeah, so I've got a perfect uh, example of this in the research looking at um, the effect in team sports. So um, research looking at a huge amount of data coming from um, NCAA, D1, men's basketball, um, the NBA, NFL, um, MLB, NHL, just kind of examining this huge amount of data in, in what happens in season and postseason. So in uh, rivalries between teams, if your rival um, goes on to do very well in the postseason, the next year um, you're going to do better in your postseason. And that effect is even more pronounced if your rival wins the national championship the year before. So that amount of motivation from a loss carries over and makes you perform better the following year. I think it's exactly the same effect you were talking about. 100%. I mean, you, you <laughs> look at it in life in general, when you take an L, there's nothing like a reevaluation time when you took an L and there's nothing like a reevaluation time when you took an L in public. And that's just not in sports. That's just a generality. When things are moving smoothly, why are you reevaluating everything? When the wheels fall off, like Ali said, and you're like, Oh my God, I emptied the tank and I took an L. 
How is this, how is this possible? What do you think about it, Caffrey? I, I totally agree. Like, it's the same thing with training. If your training blocks are going well, you're making improvements. You're talking to your coach and saying, things are going well, why do you need to change up? Yeah. When, you know, you stop making progress, things aren't working, then that's when you have to reevaluate. So it's the same thing that, Grace, you were talking about. Like, when you take that L, you got to reevaluate, and that's when it really hits you. Now, here's where it all comes together. So, Ali, Joe Frazier and this is the fight I was talking about, fought in what was literally called the fight of the century. And if you want to know how big this was, in in the 70s, so when Ali was fighting, there wasn't a million channels. He fought once, and I shit you not, 7D, 7-0, million people watched his fight live on TV. 7-0. Now, you put that, wrap your head around, the Floyd Mayweather um conor mcgregor got four million views on pay-per-view it's the biggest pay-per-view this is before pay-per-view but it's the biggest pay-per-view and we thought that was gangbusters just to let you know when the fight of the century happened ali was undefeated joe frazier was undefeated ali had been gone on a hiatus because the government took his title away yada yada for political reasons he wasn't going to go to vietnam so he was undefeated world champion joe frazier came in his absence won the title he was an undefeated world champion. He had two undefeated world champions. Only one could be there. And the nation stopped. You know, not just the nation, worldwide, it stopped. And when I mean stopped, people were allowed to go home from work. They had, it was all over the radio, the news. It was, to say it was massive is, is an understatement in terms of skin in the game. This is Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time, lost the fight of the century against Joe Frazier and took his very first loss with the world watching. This is world changing for Ali's mental. And if you read his autobiography, it's phenomenal. He talks about this saying, how do you compartmentalize that when you empty everything and you empty everything? It means so much and you take an L and now you, now the skin in the game and you have to reevaluate. Ali comes back, fights Frazier and just like Bryce said, where he levels up, now Frazier takes an L. Now you have yourself your rivalry. You're mm-hmm. one in one. You're both. The third fight is coming, and the world knows the third fight is coming. What is going to happen there where the same scenario, you have the skin in the game, you have the importance of it, so you feel the pressure. Both teams have gone through a Bryce said where when it's championship caliber and you lose the next season, you come back harder. Both of them are in that position now. And now we have our third meeting. This is when it comes really special because all aspects, both individuals, if it's man, man, woman teams have now reevaluated everything, stopped everything, dug deeper than they ever thought they would dig hold all stops in terms of training. They all have the data points and now they're going to face again. Let's talk about scenarios like that and the buy-in for the public. And this is why it's so important. Look at the first fights big, but now we have data points and we've seen both teams win and both teams able to reevaluate and reconfigure. How do you, Bryce, I know you've done some research on this in terms of the buy-in of the public. How big do you think this is in the aspects for both individuals as well? Yeah, so it's it's no surprise that as fans, we kind of latch on to 
uh, a particular team or a person, it's not only that you, you like them and you want them to win, they become part of your identity. So like, I'm a person who wants Arian to win. You know, I'm a person who wants the Celtics to win or something like that. Like I am a, a Celtic in, in a way. And so, you know, before the podcast, we were talking about the fact that when they talk about their person or their team, they use the word we, like I'm in this too. I'm, I'm on the team, literally, even though you're, you're not doing anything, sitting on your couch watching, you know, and, and we get these strong in-group effects. So it's, it's me and my group versus you and your group. And, and that extends to the fans too. You know, I'm a fan of, of this powerlifter and those people are all a fan of them. So I'm going to start thinking more negatively about them and their own abilities or, you know, other qualities about them or their intelligence or their ability to reason well, or, you know, look at the data or whatever. And so, you know, we form these super, super strong attachments to either people or uh, organizations, you know, and, and it becomes part of who we are. It's wild how tribal people are. You see it from all levels. Like if you're in high school and there's crosstown high school, like it's us and them, right? Isn't it? It's it's like a, it's for some reason bit of rivalries, and you're 100. Look, I I'm not a huge hockey guy. In proximity, we're pretty close to Toronto. My friend's telling me about the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he's always saying, "If we can get so and so, if we, it's like we." My friend, are you speaking French? Or are you saying you're part of the team now? Like this is not, it's not a we, sir. You're just a, you're not participating at all. But you start identifying as a part of this, right? We, we just do. I, I don't know what it is. It's a we all we we set ourselves teams. And in terms of sports, if you can make people buy, it's the buy-in. Look, this is what King of Lifts does. Uh, this is what we we try to do constantly. And this is part of the reason why Bryce felt, man, this would be good for King of Lifts discussion. But whenever a Nationals comes up or a World Championship comes up, the biggest goal is we need people to buy in. When people, I know the lifters themselves, and we'll get into the impact of the stress and how there's good stress, bad stress in a second. But the impact in terms of the on the lifters, I've had lifters say and reach out and be like, holy shit, man, you hyping the hell out of this, uh, the showdown I'm in, you know, and, and it's like, listen, I understand the stress you might be under, but believe me when I say the overall greater good for our sport, it, I, it, sometimes it would actually be easier. And I want to get all your perspectives on this. And Bryce, you, you're, you'll be gold for this because you talked openly about this and, and we know how your story ends actually becoming a world champion, but it might be easier in terms of walking in there and just being like, let everybody look at the 93 kilo class and nobody look at the 105s. Let's just leave it like that. And then I go in and let them carry the weight, let them carry the pressure at those world championships. And I just go in there and I do what I do. And, um, and we just leave it at that. So I don't have that pressure. However, if you want for the sport to grow in terms of fan base, when we do this crazy hype job and start making you pick your team, whose team are you on? I made a post earlier walking into 2021, looking at the 63 kilo ladies saying, are you team Leah? Are you team Sam? Hashtags. I am with Leah. I am with Sam. I am with Gara. You don't think that puts pressure on those ladies? Of course it does. You don't think it's not difficult. I understand it's difficult, but for the greater good of the sport, we need rivalries and we need people to care. And uh, I mean, I've had other people reach out, be like, God damn, man. Like I've had coaches reach out, say, look, my lifter's getting a little stressed. King lifts is a big platform and you put a lot of pressure on them. My friends, it's for the greater good. Believe me, you know, the stats don't lie. Arian, what do you feel about that? 
Stop stressing out all these lifters, man. Hey, man. Hey, man. <laughs> so, so from the the spectator side, the fan side, um, I I like the idea. I agree with it. Like having those bitter rivals hating the other person, like that's human nature. We want to be polarizing. That's why, like, that's why everyone loves this overrated, underrated because it's so polarizing. That's why like people wear those shirts that say whatever power thing versus everybody or whatever versus everybody because people want to like, yeah, I'm part of this tribe, um, but. The, the other aspect I just want to mention since part of this whole podcast and the, and the conversation is like the positive aspects of this and is that as a athlete, as the person who's actually there is you may not like the person, you may want to beat them, you, you, don't, you don't want them to beat you, but it, it's not about hating the person or like, you know, wanting like you want them to get injured and stuff is part of a worthy rival is because what we're talking about is it pushes you so you do want to keep them around to continue to push you and not be complacent and the other thing is that maybe it relates to the research bryce has is that having that worthy rival and seeing their strengths shows the weaknesses in you shows what you need to work on oh we're, we're slacking off on this area we don't have this kind of coach th this and that and so then you go and make the changes and you improve your weaknesses and now you can come back and fight that rival as, as a stronger person rather than just like you know hating that person oh man they, they bench more than me it's not fair and this and that and you never actually improve your weaknesses uh, yeah dude how often do we think you got a pretty good squat until you see somebody come along and you're like my squad is not what I thought it was. <laughs> Let's be honest. And there is like, that happens to everybody, but there also, there is something to the effect of like, I needed that person to come along. I thought I was doing great. I thought I was pushing all boundaries. I thought until I heard a podcast and heard how many hours they're putting in, putting in the, the you know, the, the research and development their, their coaches are putting in. I thought it was being a good coach until I found out just leveling up what other people are doing. And then I was like, holy shit, gut check, reality check time. You think you're good. And then every now and then someone's going to come around and give you a reality check and you're forced to level up. Kathleen, what do you feel about this? You know, I agree. I, I think it's kind of funny when, you know, you have people who start, taking, you know, I'm on this team versus on this team. Like, I look at soccer, so there's a huge rivalry between, like, my team, Arsenal, versus Tottenham. And if I meet a stranger who's a Tottenham fan, I don't even know, like, I don't know this person. I already don't like them. And it's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know you, but I already don't I like you just because you like this team. <laughs> You're and like, so, I was, I was having dinner with a friend and he introduced me, um, to one of his mutual friends. And that conversation came up. I excuse myself. Okay. And I left. Okay. I lost, I said, I lost my fucking appetite. I'm sorry. And that's, I don't break bread with these individuals. <laughs> it, it's funny. We, we've kind of gotten to that level where that even happens like within our sport, because like, you know, you talk to anyone and everyone on Instagram from all over the world and even within the country from different federations. And I've had some people like be like, like, oh, I didn't expect you to be that way as a as a USAPL coach or USAPL lifter. Like they went in because like, you know, they were part of a, a enemy federation, USPA, whatever, thinking that I'm going to be a certain way because, oh, he goes to USAPL meets. And they're like, oh, that's not actually what I was expecting because they went in thinking like, oh, I hate this guy because he's not on my team. And then you validated yeah. that, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I thought he's a nice guy. And then I met him. Like, Wept. <laughs> Guys, all types of chips on his shoulder. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, a, uh, it is interesting how, you know, we do, we do buy in like that. Now as a competitor aspect, when you're in the middle of this, it is, there's stressors. And then like, you know, there's, there's a term that they say there, there is such a good thing as stress. There, there's a good to stress that makes you level up when this kind of attention comes your way and you're forced into a moment. 
Um, let, me, let me give an example. And then Bryce, we could talk a little bit because you've been very open about this in the past. And um, so George St. Pierre for initially out the gate was an absolute phenom and um, just running through contenders and didn't have to necessarily level up. As a matter of fact, they ran, you know, for lack of a better word, a, a reality show contest with the ultimate fighter. And the winner of this was going to get a title shot at George St. Pierre. But the individuals in this contest of the ultimate fighter, all these guys, none of them were actually viewed as viable contenders for George St. Pierre. They appeared to be under the mark even. So when the fight was made and the winner of that contest was Matt Serra, the odds were staggeringly in George St. Pierre's favor. And George St. Pierre said he prepared as such, showed up, and was all types of overconfident, not only in his prep, but in the fight. The fight happened in Matt Serra, who I believe was around somewhere along the likes of a six to one underdog, knocked out George St. Pierre in the first round and talk about humble pie. Now, George St. Pierre after that was forced to reevaluate, level up. And when they had a rematch, his, his training was a, a whole nother level. And when he got into the fight, it appeared to be an entirely different individual. And then he started talking about fear. And had, he, he became what he says, and Mike Tyson speaks on this as well, friends with it. Now, this is something I want to talk about with you, fellas, and you can only get this through competition if you actually fear your opponent. Yes, it feels anxiety is a very shitty feeling. Period. If I told you I'm going to give you anxiety to the point to the level of just underneath anxiety attack from here on out, that's the fuck. That's a that's hell. If there's hell on earth, okay. Anxiety is probably the worst feeling you could feel. And George St. Pierre, and and that's what fear base brings. George St. Pierre and Mike Tyson both talked about how when you step into that ring. Only when you are that anxious and feel that fear, all of a sudden you reach a level of hyper-focus. Now, George St. Pierre talked about how you're in there staying across to the other individual. You dip your shoulder just a minute, and that's my tell that you're about to jab. I am so honed in. I am so, it's like I'm in a car and I'm white knuckling it because we're on ice and I could veer off at any moment. My hyper-focus is like that. And he's focused in to a swivel of the hips. Now he's recognizing only through fear and through data taking it in enough times, when you move your hips like this, you're gonna low kick. You move your hips like that, just a slight stitch. I know if you're baiting, I know if you're going high, I know if you're dropping levels for a takedown, but the fear there. And then he realized in the Matt Sarah fight, there was no fear the first time around. He was loose. And it feels better. You walk in there, I'm loose. I'm able to do what I'm going to do. The problem was, you're too loose. And there is a careful balance. And um, he had to come to grips with. And Mike Tyson talks a little bit about, if the fear is out of control, fear is like a fire. Fire out of control will burn down your house. Fire and control will heat the house. Fire and control will cook your food. You need fear, but you need to know how to work with it. And St. Pierre, the same thing. He was talking to guys, boxers who had 100 fights, 200 amateur fights, 100 pro fights. And he's like, how do I get rid of this fear? And they would say, love, A, it'll never go away. B, 
if it ever does, you better hang him up because you're in trouble. Okay. And when he was scared out of his mind of Matt Sarah, he, he dominated him. When he wasn't, he got knocked the fuck out and got hurt. Um, it's a weird thing that only competition can bring is that fear. And, and um, so maybe l- let's talk a bit about that, Bryce. Have you felt where initially you could be the fire burns the house and you're like, fuck, I don't, I don't have a handle of this. And then maybe coming to grips saying the fire is now heating the house and I'm, 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 I'm good with it now. It's going to come. I'm okay that it's going to come. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I think, you know, you were talking about rivalries before um, in powerlifting and I think powerlifters are still relatively new to that or like it's new to powerlifting and that, you know, there's not these intense competitions or they don't know how to handle it, you know, mm-hmm. when you're hyping up a, a competition and, you know, the, the coaches or the lifters are saying, don't do this, you know, like yeah. you, you don't get the option to do that in any other sport, you know, to like, hey, CNN, can you uh, stop talking about us, please? That'd be great. Thanks. Um, and so I think powerlifters are just new to figuring out how do we cope with this? How do we kind of um, accept that this is going to go on as we continue to get better and continue to, you know, pursue our craft even more and more. But yeah, I mean, on a, on a personal level, I've kind of dealt with both of these and I think truly like exposure has been the best thing for me, you know, kind of getting to this state. You paused on my end fellas. Is he paused on your end? Yeah. I think we lost Bryce. Darn it. He was just about to get into some goods. (laughs) We'll never know. He goes, let me tell you my personal account that it's going to change everything. Can you guys hear me? Okay, oh, you're back. back. Oh, you're okay, back. you cut out. I'll tell you where you cut out. Um, you had just finished about how, and thank you very much about how Kingless has to do what they have to do, and other sports don't have the option of saying, no, TSN, ESPN, don't run this story. It puts too much pressure on me. You finished on that, and I'm 100% agreeance um, that, yeah, fuck, come on. You, yeah, I'll talk about that in a second, but I'll let you pick back up. Right where you cut off was, uh, I think you were about to bring it into your personal experience with it. Oh yeah. All right. So, um, I've, I've kind of been on both sides of this in competition and, and probably one of the, um, one of the worst experiences with, with this was one of my early Arnold experiences. And this was when Lane was like absolutely dominant Lane Norton, you know, dominant. And, um, just being around him, I had this sense of like fear and, you know, just like sense of, being the underdog but but not only being the underdog but not being able to beat him and just I didn't really have that recognition of well like I'm just gonna go in and do my best and and figure out what it's gonna be it was like me versus Lane you know and and you know Lane had like a posse around him like a dozen people watching him <laughs> watching him warm up in the warm-up room there's two videographers you know DeNovo's like handing out supplements in the back and it's just like insane like I I couldn't handle the 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 two things so number one it's lane number two the arnold is like this you know crazy hyped event and it's kind of compact there's a ton of people there anyway i don't do well on my squats and like i go back in the warm-up room to find a quiet place and just like i'm bawling my eyes out and like i don't know what to do like i'm texting my coach and just like nothing like i haven't even finished the meet yet you know i like i missed (laughs) a third squat and the pressure was just overwhelming um, it was just overwhelming. And I had that sense of anxiety of like defeat, even though nothing happened. And, and so that's, that's on the one end. And I think the more times I've gotten back to that place of being in a close battle with other athletes and just being like, all right, well, let me just bring the focus back on myself. Let me just 
control what I can control and, uh, and do my best from there. And, uh, I think that's one thing that a lot of athletes need to learn if they're ever in the situation that I was in the first time is just that exposure, that sense of like, bring your focus back into only what you can control. And, and that's helped me out a ton. Kathy, you would actually, let, let me bring up your business. You had yeah, some stress. Favorite. Yeah. Let's, let's, you had some stress leading to some competitions early. And um, I remember your body weight was low and you're like, man, my body weight's getting low. And I'm like, well, you got to eat more. You got to eat more. And um, I was like, do we need to like leading into this? What's your body weight at? Do we need to do like, uh, you know, water loads, et cetera. <laughs> and you were talking about the stress was so great at times. I remember even your first competition when it was like, Kathy, no one's looking your way, my friend. You don't need to worry about nothing. You were saying, my man, I eat, and um, this is where we're going to get a little too much information, but uh, you were like, I am not retaining retaining anything. This is coming out of my body and all sorts of, (laughs) and you're like, it's what the stress can do to your body. Um, And it's, I mean, you could, I'll I'll let you spend, not just particular to that, but talk about how the stress can affect your body, but dealing with it you have gotten far better. Like this is, we're talking a local competition. Your first comp, you put so much pressure on yourself for a first competition. And then by the time you go to the world championships and you're pulling for a world record, we're talking far greater stakes and yet you're handling it far greater. You know, it's all about perspective, isn't it? And how you approach it. 100%. Like, so my first, I I think it's just because it was the first time I was doing it and I put so much pressure on myself. I just want to do so well. And it was just something I never experienced. So as you said, like I was eating food and I was just in the bathroom five minutes later, I was, I remember my weight, I think I was like five or six pounds under the weight, weight cutoff. And I think it's just one thing that's a thing of experience. Like as you do more meats, you can handle the stress better. You can handle the anxiety better. And you learn how to use it to your advantage. Like I remember having conversations with you and your base. you like, it's good. It shows that you care. And so use that in order to, you know, perform. So I think by the time I got to the world, like I've had a few competitions in my belt and I'm like, you know what? Like, yes, I'm nervous, but that's normal. I'm always going to be nervous whenever I ever meet. So just getting better at handling those situations. And if I actually take this back to when I was playing soccer, I remember we like as a team, we were ranked, I think, 20th in the, in the province and we were facing the number two ranked team in the province. And so, like, our whole team was, we were scared. Like, we were petrified because we had no business playing this team. And I had a similar conversation that me and you had. Our coach had that same conversation with us. He's like, boys, like, I know how you feel. Like, this is a scary time. Like, this team's good. He's like, you just go out there. You match every player man for man. And you know what? You just do what you can. Go play. Go have fun. And we actually end up winning that game. But it's those situations. You just have to learn how to kind of handle that anxiety, handle that fear. And it happens with experience. It's, um, yeah, I, I think one of experience, you, okay, listen, you can read an article on this. You can listen to a podcast on this. Nothing will replace experience. Mm-hmm. That's everything in life. Go ahead, Bryce. So we've been talking about kind of these positive aspects of rivalries. And I want to talk about some of these more negative aspects and get some of your opinions on this. So some of the research says rivalries increase unethical behavior, um, this feeling of being so focused on your own interests that you'll manipulate, deceive, or exploit other people. You take more risks. Um, you're more physiologically aroused. Like you're just kind of in the zone. 
Um, have you guys seen this in rivalries at the the world level in powerlifting or in other sports? You know, it's if we're all honest, there is like there's 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 parts of you when you walk into a competition, you know, you're like, look, I want my competitor to be at 100 percent, and we and we face each other. But there's a little that that little bit of insecurity in the back of your head where it's like, you know, if they didn't show, whatever, miss their flight, whatever, and it's just a smooth sailing, I wouldn't be opposed. If I got that, if I got that news, would I be a little relieved? After the fact, I look back, I would have liked them to show up and I win. Sure, but winning is not in your control. You have your own efforts and that's it. You can't pro. It's bullshit when people say, I promise you I'm going to win. You can't make that promise to me, so don't do that. Promise me you're going to give 100% effort. You have control over your effort. Promise me that. Don't promise me a win because I fluffed that off. Or when people call me up before a competition and they say, you know, I know you're going to do this. Don't worry about it. I know you're trying to make me feel better, but you don't know. So it doesn't mean what you think it does. I just actually fluff it off. It's a lot different than if Kathy or someone who knows me calls me up and says, you know what you put in in competition. You know what you, know what you did, sorry, in training. You know all the work you did in training. When I want to alleviate Kathy's stress before these big meets, when we've had this talk before, I'll call him up and say, remember everything you did in, in training. Remember the hours you did. Remember how you felt. Remember all the data we have on your competition. It alleviates because of that. But um, yeah, when you make those make those promises, and that's where, we're, if we're honest, it's the stress and the pressure of it. When it comes time, that it's not about look. Some people won't be honest about it, but in the back of your mind, even if you don't act on it, the negative's going to creep in. And you're going to start saying, well, what if they just didn't show? No, no, nothing bad happens to them. What if fucking you just miss a flight? You just whatever. Would I be okay with that? I might. Maybe it's a relief. Even though I know if I'm retired and I'm looking back, I want to tell you battle stories. Oh, fuck, I was down the last deadlift. I got it. Or, oh, you want it. But in the actual moment, when you're in the stress, stress and anxiety, I can't stress enough, I said it before, are the shittiest feelings in the world. And when you're feeling that, if you're human, things will cross your mind. And that's when you might act unethically in certain spots. And as a straight up only viewer, you might not totally grasp. And I'm not saying it's okay. Most people who feel that put it away and say, look at me, that's weakness. And that's normal and that's fine. It's weakness and, and you let it go. But there is also when you've been in the mix enough times, yeah. And I, have I seen it? I think we've all seen in sports in general, you know, um, in terms of, in terms of sport, look at uh, me and Kathy are Canadian and Ben Johnson, when he won the 1988 hundred meter race and he popped and was dirty and it was a big black guy for Canada. Well, guess what? Everybody in that finals for the hundred meter sprints ended up popping eventually down the road and um, it turned out they were all dirty. Now, were they all terrible people? Are they all or are they all just in the same pressures, hearing the same rumors about each other? And then it just becomes through stress, through pressure, through what you're hearing, you start acting ways that you wouldn't have never ever seen or, or felt before. You're like, I wouldn't do that. Well, mm -hmm. and when that happens, you know, some people are like, lock them up, throw away the key type deal or cancel them, and that's it. 
but there is also a learning. There is also a little bit of compassion. There has to be a road back for everybody for redemption to be like, listen, you were in the pressure. You were, you felt the pressure. You felt the stress. You felt the anxiety. You didn't want to let people down and you, you thought you'd get away with such and such. There has, and you learned a harsh lesson, but there has to be a road back. Um, I, I'm big on that in general. And when you look at, you could apply this all aspects of life, business, whatever. There is certain things where like, I can't, I can't accept, I can't forgive you for. There are other things where it's like, he needs this, he or she needs a path back. That's my take on it. If, if someone's wondering why, it's some people, we fluff it off like they're what an idiot or they're just morally corrupted people. That guy and that woman might be a father who is married and a fucking upstanding citizen everywhere else. And in one moment of pressure, they thought I could alleviate this pressure and the stress if I just get a slight edge up. And it's a sport, only a sport. So they rationalize it and then things happen. That's what I think. If we're actually diving into this, what competition brings out of this? You're right, Bryce. It brings both. Stress can bring both. That fear, that fire in the house can bring both. And you might act, it might bring out the worst in some people sometimes. And it doesn't mean they should be written off. What do you think, Arian? I, well, let's go around the table because I think this is a big one. And I'm glad you brought it up, Bryce. We'll start with Arian. Yeah, there, there's definitely a downsides to it as well. And I think it's it's what you said is the the pressure building up of like, you have to perform a certain way. Everyone else is performing a certain thing you may see online or see from other competitions. Oh, they did this, this speed in this race and, and I'm only doing this much. And so the pressure builds up and it, it's both things that Bryce said is it can be unethical practices like people taking steroids or doing different things to cheat to try and win. But also can be like you said, the, the risk taking aspect because sometimes you'll see a team or a fighter, someone change their strategy when it comes to like the championship versus what they did all season at work because that pressure is so high and they're like, oh man, now we're going against the best team. If we don't go up early, if we don't take this big play and go up early, then we're going to be behind. Um, and same thing like in fighting, fighters will come out the first round and the strategy will be completely different than what they did in all their other fights leading up. And and for powerlifting, you can see that. And I sometimes have to hold myself back is like, if you're someone who's good at like the squat or squat bench press, but you know your opponent's better at the deadlift, you like, oh, maybe I should take a bigger risk on the squat to make sure I'm up because they have that big deadlift. But what happens is, yes, unless it snowballs the wrong way, you take the risk on squat when maybe you didn't need it, you fall behind. So then you take the risk on bench press when you didn't need it, you fall behind, and then you just gave it away to your opponent. So it becomes a both aspects. It's like the pressure is just so much for some uh, players and for some teams that it can then become a negative thing and you take bad uh, risks and then you end up basically making yourself lose. 100% we've seen that. Um I, you're entirely correct in terms of bringing it into powerlifting. I brought this story up before with Caffrey, and now he's here. But um, the big deadlifter has that advantage of putting pressure on people initially early. So you have to almost gamble, take some risks. And um, yeah, I already used the example earlier about Jose Aldo being so much pressure and, and, and anxiety and the way Conor McGregor had attacked him um, and attacked, you know, Brazil and attacked his culture. And uh, was making fun of the favelas, which is the, I probably mispronounced it, the ghettos of Brazil, et cetera. And he thought he was fighting for more than, he purposely made it, put the pressure on Aldo to attack Brazil. Do you think Connor did that just because he's just an asshole? He might be, but he also knows you are now fighting for more than yourself. How do I make you not, you might walk into the saying, all I can do is my best and it's just on me. And, you know, okay, that's great. I'm going to spin it so it's more bigger than you and you feel bigger pressure than you want to. You know how I'm going to? I'm going to take it out of your hands. I'm going to attack your nation. 
and now you're fighting and your nation's watching and now you're fighting for your nation deal with that have fun with that and he did and then when, by the time aldo got in there like you said arian he was upset he had the pressure of the nation and he freaking the technicals at the window he does not fight this way and he rumbles forward trying to get the first shot in the anxiety the pressure it all happens and um, you could do the same thing in terms of powerlifting if you want if you want to ratchet it up there's some actual people who in terms of psychology tell you how to put pressure on somebody more than just you suck you're not that good and you know it it's no you could actually be a nice guy but you could actually just put pressure on by making it bigger than them and then just subtly doing that ramping it up so when they walk in there they can no longer be like when bryce said it's just about myself i just got to do my best you keep bringing it up you got usa across your chest you know your family's watching I had, a, I had the opportunity of meeting Bryce's family earlier, great people. And it's like, why are you fucking bringing these people up all the time, bro? You're, you're, I know what you're doing. Relax, homie. Uh, you know, so uh, that happens. And, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, Muhammad Ali talks about it as well. You do it on purpose as well. But um, I, I, I don't want you to totally let you off the hook before we go to the cafe about what about the unethical side, though? Um, because uh, you don't seem above it to me. Let me just throw that out there, bud. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, there is definitely, there is that. And the higher the pressure, the higher the stakes, you you probably happens more often, which is why you see it more in professional sports and Olympics, especially in professional sports where you're making millions and Olympics, maybe you're, you're representing your country and maybe you're making money to feed your family. Now you're willing to take more risks for your family than when it's for like powerlifting where you, you know, you're just paying for yourself. It's not, it's not doing anything for you. But even in powerlifting, you may have like a few top lifters and one person seeing the other person progress and then seeing the other one progress. And you're like, man, I'm not progressing at the same rate as these guys. And so you might be willing to take risks like, oh, what if I just take this and be able to keep up with those people? So I'm, I'm sure it's happened. We don't know for sure because, you know, usually when people fail a drug test, they, they say they're innocent. And sometimes we don't catch everyone. So who knows? Someone may have done it and we, and we never know. So there's definitely that aspect. And then another story that came to my mind that you were talking about UFC where it's kind of like the flip side was Anderson, Anderson Silva versus Chael Sonnen. Chael Sonnen talked so much crap about Anderson Silva, talked about Brazil, that they're not a bowing country. They'll, they'll steal your money and everything like that. He was going against the champion. But he also then put all that pressure on himself. He became the bad guy. He says, I'm going to beat the champion, everything like that. He was dominating for five rounds. He ended up you know, getting choked out and losing. But he then failed his drug test. So I wonder, we don't know when he took it, but maybe he felt the pressure and had to take the risk. Like, hey, I have to beat this guy. I put so much pressure on myself. I talk so much crap that I need to take this performance answer to make sure I can beat this guy. Well, there's the flip side as well. Well said. Uh, a couple things before I throw it to Cap. A couple things I want to s- snowball off of. Yeah, that's a good – that was a very good example where – and he actually said, because he was winning that fight, um, he was doing the same thing as Conor McGregor did, and he was winning that fight for all the five rounds, and then the fifth round, he openly says, I just – I don't know what it was, but I wanted out of that fight. And I was winning every single round, and I wanted out of the fight, and I got caught in a triangle. I see people – it was the slowest setup for a triangle, and people were like, what is going on here? You're not defending properly. And he actually has had that several times where he's winning the fight and he not from, from a punch because he's afraid of a punch, but a, a submission is one of those things you tap and it can be painless, especially if it's a choke. And he's like, I, I'm not sure why. And then obviously he ended up using PEDs, etc. cetera. And um, yeah, you can raise somebody's microphones, making noise in the background. Yeah. I hear that too. 
that was Arian. <laughs> that was Arian. Um, Arian is on a cruise liner apparently, but, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, in terms of, uh, raising the stakes, you could raise the stakes, hoping your opponent feels the heat, but it can also happen to yourself. And, uh, and we've seen that happen. And to also, Arian also brings up a great point where some of these baseball players, like you hear some of these guys from the Dominican and he pops for PEDs. And then afterwards it's, they're like, well, the shame that'll come to him. And he's thinking, my friend, you don't know how I lived and, and you're judging me on my decisions I make, but you don't know the options I had. And I took my family and we are set for generations. Now, if you've seen how we lived before, you think you have it tough where you are, you have no idea. And uh, so if, if I got to take a black eye for this, fine, you know, I'll take the hit. Um, Kathy, what do you feel about this? I think both of you guys, like both you and Aaron hit the nail on the head, but then I also think there's the situations where you get people who think it's almost socially acceptable because they think everyone else is being dishonest. Like if we go to, remember the case of the, the Russian team in the Olympics where basically the whole team was juicy and the country's kind of helping them. So I think there's a documentary on Netflix on it. You get cases like that where people think like, oh, well, if I have to be at this level, I need to, you know, take these PEDs because everyone else is. So you get that side of the story where people get in that wrong headspace of, I have to do this in order to be at this level, which I think can hurt athletes as well. 100%, man. Look at the cyclist. Look at Lance Armstrong where he's like, look at everyone came at me, but do you realize when, if you're going to take the title from me and give it to the next person who was clean, you're looking at like number 35 or something ridiculous. You know, it's the same thing with, um, you know, I, I, I said earlier, the 100 meter race in 1988 Olympics, where they all started popping afterwards. You start almost, you, you can rationalize. And I, me, you know what, I don't want to sound like an apologist for this. I'm just offering, there's a difference between saying, I understand why you did and saying, I condone what you did. There's a huge difference between the two. There's a huge difference between I want to understand why you made this decision and saying, I'm okay with you making this decision. That's, I want to make that there's a difference. So when I offer, when I talk about, you know, anxiety or someone coming up from a bad situation and the money's on the table, it's not that I'm saying it's okay, but it is that I'm saying it's, it's not as cut and dry as people like to say, like, we get so lazy with this being like, no, they're just a bad person. Well, it's, you know, there's a lot more than just sport. Um, Bryce, I'll, I'll let you add on to that, but there's also that one quote I'll, I'll give before you hop in there. You know, maybe I'll let you go first and then I'll give this quote about sports okay. and character. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you guys contributed a lot, so I'm just going to add just a few tidbits from the research on that negative side. Um, the, the same guy we've been talking about killed off and some of the research he's done kind of extend to a few other sides of this negative side of sport um, matches between rival soccer teams have a higher frequency of yellow and red cards showing, you know, more risk taking and also, you know, more aggression, more shoulder throws, you know, more like getting in uh, your, your rivals way as far as, you know, intercepting passes and stuff like that. And that fans of rival universities are more likely to lie to each other than fans of non-rival institutions mm -hmm. in separate work. Um, in the NFL, teams are more likely to attempt fourth down and two-point conversions when competing against their rivals, and uh, and they go on to just say, well, how do we how do we stop this? What do we do to to do you know to prevent against this? And and really, they just boil down to to two basic things. Number one, the rules of the sport and and the laws of the country, you know, maybe are a deterrent against this. You know, if the rules say you can't 
you can't uh, cheat in XYZ way, or the laws say, you know, you can't take steroids. That helps prevent unethical behavior to some extent. And the last thing is, rather than making decisions in the heat of the battle, you make decisions beforehand. And, and these are the decisions that we keep rather than trying to make decisions when you're under the heat of stress, of anxiety. You, you say, this is our game plan. We're going to stick to our game plan. And that kind of helps you get through those things. It is. Yeah, it's interesting where when you got skin in the game and you're emotional, you will empty the tank a little more because you don't want to lose to that guy. And it's, um, unfortunately you, yeah, you're going to throw a little more shoulders and stuff like that as well. Go ahead, Caffrey. I just want to build off the one thing uh, Bryce was talking about in soccer and back to like just being an ethical. So I find it great how one of the biggest like incidents in soccer. So Diego Maradona, he won the world cup by hand, like, he says hand to hit the ball in the, in the net. It's called the hand of God. So like here's an instance <laughs> where he is a hero because he broke the rules of the sport, which I just find like so ironic. <laughs> well, look, listen, if you watch WWE or WWF from back in the day, it was massive when they had two heated rivals and Hulk Hogan was, I think he was cage side and forever the baby face, which means always a good guy. If you're going to lose, you lose because you are not going to break the rules and the bad guy did. And that's how we won. So it almost reinforces it's a win even when you lose. And that historically was the case when it comes to WWE and pro wrestling. And then at one point, they're like, we need to change some things up. And Hulk Hogan grabbed the chair and hit a rival in the back. I forget the exact match. And the crowd fucking popped for it. And there was something about the rivalry was so heated and the crowd hated the bad guy so much, even when the good guy did something unethical and broke the rules to win. It was a fucking like a, people were happy about it. It was like, yeah. He got what he deserved. And because it was unethical, it fucking was tasted a little better. And it, they had not done that before. Before it was, nope, baby faces and heels, and this is the way we do it. But it's weird how, kind of like Kathy said with the hand of God, where it's like, you start looking at certain things like, that clearly shouldn't have counted. But you start myth making it a legendary, like, that's the fucking hand of God it went in. And I'll be damned if you take it away now. It's weird how that might happen, how you start, you know, look at another famous one, Jack Dempsey said. This is a boxer in 1920s. And um, he was the champion for years. And, I mean, he got knocked out of the ring in one of his title defenses. And this is at a time when 120,000 people would show up for a boxing match. And, again, it's only on radio. And it's the only thing on the radio. So all of America and all over the world is listening. He gets knocked out of the ring. And people body surfed him back into the ring as the ref is counting for him to defend his title. He ends up on his feet and slugs the guy out. I mean, the guy was like seriously uh, beyond myth. Like he was a legend, a living legend. And he lost his title and had to fight the number one contender to have an opportunity to fight for his title again. And against the number one contender, he's getting beaten up. He's getting beaten up badly for seven rounds. People are like, oh my God, we're never going to see this rematch. And then this happened. He fucking hit the guy low. Not enough to lose a point, but he hit the guy low. The guy drops his hands, turns to the ref to complain, hits him with the left hook, knocks out Jack Sharkey, Jack Dempsey. And then the crowd goes nuts. And then afterwards, Jack Sharkey's like, you hit me low. And then you hit me with a legal shot. 
And then Dempsey's like, what do you want me to do about it? It is what it is. You're told protect yourself at all times. It is what it is. <laughs> right? he, goes, he, goes, right. he goes, the first, he goes, the punch that hurt you initially was illegal, but the one that knocked you out was legal. It is what, and then they asked the ref about it. And he's like, what am I going to do? Am I going to get dock a point from the guy when I'm counting to 10? The, the punch that knocked him out was legal. And then the crowd, like, it was weird because it's Jack Dempsey. It's like the Hulk Hogan situation. People are like, okay, let's let's roll with it. And it becomes famous. And they actually accept it and spin it like it's kind of a fun story. Hey, do you remember that? Yeah, that was hilarious. Because it is, it was Jack Dempsey. Because it's Hulk Hogan, the ultimate baby faces. So it kind of, it's the hand of God coming down, right? Uh, listen, gentlemen, I got to rock a quick piss. And then I'm going to uh, ask you another question. Take this somewhere. Did anyone have something they want to snowball on that before we do a quick break? I've got a, a juicy question, but I'll wait till we get back. All right. All right. Let's take a five minute or okay. If you guys got to do something, do it now. All right. So you had this little, you had this little thought about this boxing competition and like this, this low blow that actually, cause like, all right, let's just give him a pass. This got me thinking about this idea. And, and I've always wondered this, but you know, never really kind of balanced this off other people do high level athletes or people who are like really well known do they get a break from being so strict on the rules? Do the judges go easy on them a little bit? Oh, love. Oh, love. Don't talk to people about basketball with fouls being called and not being called um, for sure. And that's, you know, it's, it's difficult because we've, we've hammered this in so hard, but it's true sports. We are because we are team orientated and we get emotionally attached to these people. And because you know, the trials and tribulations that people go through while they're rising up in the ranks, when that is your guy or your girl, okay. Like Donovan Bailey, when I remember the 96 Olympics, we all stopped to watch him race and we're so invested emotionally into this individual one individual i don't i didn't know him i still remember to this day my brother our family all huddling around the tv to watch him race the emotional attachment we had to donovan bailey when he raced and represented canada at the world stage and then when he won grabbed the flag and 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 flew the flag and every we it's difficult to even say so when you talk about people that you associate with if it's a Michael Jordan and you're from whatever neighborhood, pick a picture anybody who might be from uh, the slums of an inner city and they face so much adversity and you feel that and you're like, fuck, if one of us can get out there and this guy does it through everything that faced him, he makes it and he makes it big and everyone's so proud on the top stage. It's hard not to get emotionally attached. And then when, if it's him, you know, or hurt. Yeah. It's difficult to not look the other way. And, uh, in certain circumstances, because that's what sports does. If it's done properly, you're emotionally invested and we are kidding ourselves. Arians of ref here. I'm not going to put you on a spot here. And if you've done this, but the refs and officials in all sports are human, the human element to the background story when you hear their story, it's almost like if I'm sitting in as an official, I don't want to know your story, kid, because I don't want to feel for you. I don't want you to win. I, I want to be totally indifferent. But if I hear your story, I'm like, God damn, we're all human. 
You know, we all face the same thing. It's like the guy who, or, or a woman who was like 45 and made it to the Olympics. And they're like, if they can get through this heat, they make the finals. If they make through this heat and every single person you've ever met is born and it's going to die and is facing the same thing. So we all face that and you all want to see that person just push back at fight time and turn back and because it's a win for all of us. I don't care if you're 22, you're going to be 45. Yeah. Facing the same inevitable truth. We're all counting down the clock and you, so you get the emotional attachment to it. You're fighting for all of us right now. And it's difficult to be officials in all of these sports. I, I think it's inevitable and it's, it's just like, Cheating is going to be inevitable. If I can go back to what you're saying about, is there something we could do? Yes, you could do things with the rules. Yes, you could try to do put certain procedures in place, not just for PEDs, but in terms of shoulders, in terms of fouls, et cetera. But certain things, I don't know if we could take them out of the game. What do you guys think? Can you ever take that out of the game? Can you ever make a, a, an official, like a jury, you have to be sequestered and not know anything about this guy? How are you going to do that? Kathleen, what do you think? Yeah. I think even if there's no emotional attachment, like let's say you're a ref and you have the Chicago Bulls, Michael Jordan, you're at home at Chicago, and there's a questionable call that you probably would call, but it's like if you call that, you know you're walking out to that whole stadium going to heckling you. It's like, well, I might just like look the other way to that. So I don't know. I think it also makes it hard to deal with like fans and what non-game teams for everyone watching too. If I can make this, let me throw back the powerlifting. There's something that – we have done as a sport, at the least with the IPF. Again, I'm not trying to be as IPF elitist, man. My DMs got flooded last time I did a video and we put it out, but just hear me out, everybody, if you're listening, okay? One of the procedures you can do if you're a global body, and this is why it's important, when you're doing a local meet, the guy running the meet, the officials, you're probably all going to know each other because the competitors are local, the officials are local, the meet director's local. It is hard and I'm not saying they're bad people, but it's hard to detach this when you know some people's story, et cetera. But the bigger you are, when you have international competition, that's why you get an international spread. So you have three judges, you have a jury, and all of them represent different pieces of the world. So your story, my American friend, does not impress our, our judge from Mother Russia or our judge from Iran or our judge from Japan. They might not even speak the same language and read English to hear your story, even if, even if it would put a tear in their eye. They're not impressed. You know, and that's where you'll never fully take it out. But if you can mitigate and this is probably the word we need to use is mitigate. You can mitigate rule breaking and you can mitigate bias by doing these type of procedures where if it's international, we make the officials as international as possible. That's what they do in the Olympics. That's what they do. That's what they do in terms of IPF world championships. Um, Arian, you are a judge. You're also you know, you, you're a national team coach. You've been at enough world championships. You've sat in the chair and had to make calls against Americans, against other people. What are your thoughts on trying to be impartial and steps we've taken and what you've seen? Yeah, it's definitely tough um, going over like the, the first question about whether like, you know, stars get benefit of doubt. And you definitely see that like in the NBA, like you said, like, you know, LeBron James getting like bumped when he's going for a layup, he's more likely to get that call versus like, if I was going for a layup and I get bumped, like, ah, oh, it's just like, you know, some player who cares what it is, but like you expect 
these top players like to make the, the shot. So if they miss the shot and they say, Oh, I got hit. Then you, you, you like instinctively as a referee think, Oh, well, they must've gotten hit or like uh, that you have to give it to them because they're a star and, and the pressures on the referees for those sports, because the professional sport, there's millions of dollars coming in for revenue that if you ruin the call or you ruin a team and, and LeBron or, or Tom Brady, whatever doesn't make it to the finals, like, Oh, it's because that, that ref screwed it up and cost the, the organization millions of dollars. So there's a lot of pressure there. Um, rules are changed to, you know, benefit like, you know, quarterbacks are well protected nowadays. There's like the Tom Brady rule that you can't go low on his knees. You can't go high in their head and everything like that. And to, to give them the benefit and make it more high powered offense. As far as the powerlifting side of things, um, like you said, at the highest levels, we have referees from different countries in the chair. We have referees in the jury from different countries so that you basically try and take that bias out. And I would think to a certain degree, it's actually more difficult for the lifters if one, the referee knows you or two, it's for a record in other sports, referees do research going into games. They, they know the team, they know the players that, Hey, this, this player is a troublemaker in NBA. Like he always, you know, will hit someone where we have to watch out for it and we need to stop it before it turns into a fight or something like that. For us, if I'm going to local meet, I'm not preparing for who the lifters are. I'm not like watching them. I don't even know half of them. They're competing for the first time. But if you're going to a national international meet, most likely, you know, them most likely you're friends with Bryce Lewis, most likely, you know, uh, who they are, what their tendencies are. Oh, this person has a tendency to lift their butt up in training. So you may mm. actually be better prepared and watch for that and be like, Oh, I knew you, you'd lift your butt up on the third attempt. I caught you. And same thing when it's a record, all of a sudden, like if it's a record, you might have to switch to referees. Gino announces it or Ryan's announcing a live stream. All of a sudden, everyone's hyper-focused that this is an important lift and we need to judge it correctly. And sometimes maybe even more strict. So for powerlifting, it actually may be more difficult when it is the higher level competitions where you know the person or when it is a record lift. Yeah, I, I didn't even think about that, how it's a game changer when you have a reputation for maybe squat issues. Like everyone sees you in terms of your videos, you're posting your stitch high it's hard not to be human when that person comes out and you're like, I'm really looking at your depth, <laughs> you know, because you have a, or like you said, your butt up on the bench and people have called you out on social media. I can't help but know that you lift your butt on your bench. I'm checking. Or I know you're supposed to look a squat depth, a squat depth, uh, you know, it's supposed to, whether it's for a record or not for a record, it's supposed to be all the same, but how do you not realize when I say stop the competition you stand up, get out, Arian, you come over now. Everyone's watching, come over and sit in that chair. Now we stopped everything, made a big hoo-ha about it. You sit in the chair and I am 10 feet away on the live broadcast talking about, here it is, a chance in history. Bryce Lewis's record is on the line. Is he going to take it? Is he etching his name in it? And you hear me because some of the officials have said they heard me. And at times I got to call it when I see it. I've even disagreed with officials and said, you know what? That squat looked good to me, blah, blah, blah. And they've talked to me afterwards and be like, hey, whatever it is, what it is, you're allowed your opinion. But it's true. You are human though. Yeah. And I was just going to add about the, the mitigating part that some rules and some sports you can maybe mitigate. Like let's say in NFL, you can have sensors on a football to know exactly like whether it passed the goal line or whether like what yard line is in baseball, maybe you have sensors to know exactly what the strike zone is. And then you don't have to have a human in there for powerlifting. Maybe you have stuff to like, know did the butt come off the bench because the bench has some kind of sensor on it. Or like, did the foot come off the platform or the platform has sensor, but some things are just a little bit too subjective. Like how can you using cameras or sensors or lasers know whether someone's supporting the bar and the thigh 
or whether their shoulder is, is back. Like what do you consider shoulders back versus I consider it. And so there's some of those things where there's always going to be that human aspect. And then there always could be maybe some bias from a referee. We'd also be lying if the human aspect doesn't make it a little more entertaining at times. We'd be lying if the Jack Dempsey story didn't actually make it a little spicy. It happens so many times when the bad guy does it and when the good guy does it, it's just, it's the Hulk Hogan thing all over again. We'd be lying if the strike zone changing isn't an element that makes it a little, well, who knows? Well, the calls aren't really going for the, look at the Super Bowl first half. People are talking about the calls aren't really going, you know, they're going all one way, but it's part of it. It's actually part of the story. The fact that sports is somewhat flawed makes it that way, right? It makes it kind of interesting and spicy. If you take it all out and it gets too mechanical, I don't know. I, I think some people like it less now that you can like, you know, you can review a catch in the NFL or you can review a pass interference and you can take 4K footage and slow that down so much to be like, oh, that, that was a catch. He held it for one millisecond where real time back in the day, you just make the call and you go with it. My friend, if we going right back to competition, if we wanted to, we could just do nominations. We all do local meets, do your best, hand in your nominations at the end. And well, at the end of the year, Bryce, you had the biggest total, you're the world champion. <laughs> you know, but there's something about showing up and well, who's well, you know, who's judging? That's a fucking tough judge. You're really gonna have to sink your squats. Now it's a variable. You're really gonna have to sink your squats, Bryce, because this judge, the pause on the bench that they call for, how the bench pauses today, fellas. Oh shit, that's gonna be an issue for Bryce. You know, he doesn't he doesn't pause. This is all part of it though, you know, where it makes it a little bit more of an element. How many times are you at a competition and during the first round of benching, the people come back and like, whoa, we. That's a big pause today. <laughs> yeah, like, a, like an OPA. Right? It's like, wow. Okay. And everyone else is like, let's all adjust our numbers. You know, let's get ready. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think you can't take it away. Now, here's a quote I want to ask you guys, and this is directly about competition as well. When it comes to sports, the quote is, uh, it's, I'm going to paraphrase it. Sports don't build character. They reveal it. True or false? I want to go around the table. Tell me why. True or false? Arian's already chomping at the bit here. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't chomping at the bit, but sure, I'll go first. Uh, I don't think it's a true or false. I think it's a combination because I think that it it can build your character, especially early on. Like like some people got into Powell thing, they had some type of character, and by training and having a coach and going to competition and becoming friends with other people, changing who's around you, everything like that. It also shaped their character. I mean, for, for me, like in school, I was always super lazy. I was, I was smart, but I was super lazy. Never did homework. Always wanted to play video games, but I think like powerlifting has changed that. And now I'm like always, always working, always trying to stay on top of my clients and, and try and be better and everything like that, help out a competition. So I think it's a combination is like, it can build your character and change it early on. Um, but also for some people, it may reveal some things that they didn't know about themselves or other people didn't know. You just assume this person was a good person. And then you find out, oh, no, maybe they were cheating the whole time. Halfway. Yeah. I'm going to be carried on this question. I can't pick a yes or no. I think it's, I think it's both as well. Like <laughs> you hear the stories of individuals who, you know, like they just had no motivation to do anything that they found a sport and they just like clicked with them. But then you also see the situations where it's like, Oh man, you always hear the story of this athlete who you thought was such a good guy, and all of a sudden you turn, he's just like an asshole who was cheating for however long. So it, it goes both ways. Bryce, what do you think? Do does sports put you in pressure cooking situations? And when your back is to the wall, you reveal who you really are? Or 
can sports build you so you used to be that person, but you've learned some lessons and you've adapted? Yeah, I, I actually have to disagree with this quote. I, I think sport builds character like all the time, you know, like sport, sport is kind of this parallel for, for life. You know, we learn these lessons from sport that we carry into our life more broadly, but character is this like ever changing thing. Character is context dependent. You know, you have a different character when you're here on the podcast and when you're, you know, at your nine to five job and you're talking to coworkers, you know, it depends on the situation that you're in. And at the same time, we're kind of always learning from the experiences that we go through. I, I truly think that it just builds character. And the type of character it builds may be different depending on what the experiences you go through. But yeah, um, this idea of character being like this, um, this fixed thing, I think is, is pretty false. You know, and like, it's always just, it's changing. It's constantly changing. And Muhammad Ali said, anybody who's the same person at 30 as they are at 50 wasted 20 years of their life. And that's true. Um, I, we've seen it in the sports, uh, you know, some people, they have a thing in boxing. You can't teach heart, but that's actually bullshit. And it works for every sport. You have seen, we have all seen people who initially came in and boxing is an easy one or MMA because you see it like a fight. It's so primal. And you could see someone wilt from fatigue and they say fatigue makes cowards of us all wilt from fatigue, pack up their tent and quit. And they quit. They won't even come out from, from the, to meet the bell to the next round. Absolutely quit. And I've heard people in the public turn on this individual and say, you can't teach heart. They just showed their character. If you quit once, it becomes a habit and you're never going to stop quitting. You show you, you were good while the going was good. When the going got tough, now you showed what you are. Do you guys think once you show that and the pressure's on and you quit, can you turn it around or are you in your heart a quitter? I'll, I'll just go. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's always a capacity for change. You know, like maybe it's hard. Maybe you've you've put yourself in a stuck place and you have this kind of pattern that you go through over and over again. But there's always a capacity to change if you really put in the hard work and and you know turn yourself around like that. I think that's true for basically any negative characteristic. Um, now, I mean, there are, there are probably certain things with, um, I'm talking like far more seriously and way outside the scope of sport, you know, but like someone um, kills a bunch of people and, you know, it turns out, well, actually, you know, they had a brain lesion like this, this almost wasn't their fault. Like there was some part of their brain that was preventing inhibitions and, and now, you know, they did this thing and like, well, was it any surprise they're missing this, this piece of their brain that was kind of helping them do that? Well, you're not going to be able to like, teach yourself out of that, you know, like guaranteed every single time this is going to happen because it's now part of who you are. But outside of extremes like that, I think we can learn and adapt if we put in, you know, some hard work and some effort with the right people. What do you think, Kathy? Yeah, no, I, I agree with Bryce. Like I don't have like much new to add. I think like definitely like if you build a character over time, like there are habits that can be really hard to change as you just get comfortable with your, you know, your personality and those habits. But it definitely is possible to change. Aaron, did you disagree? You want to add on to that? Or do you think you're just basically in agreement? Uh, I kind of agree with them. And, and I think it can go, it can go both ways. I think someone who is a quitter can change and become a non-quitter and someone who is not a quitter can change and become a quitter. And I think part of it is dependent on, maybe it's not that they were 
they weren't really a quitter at heart. Like maybe that wasn't their being, but maybe they just like were complacent. They didn't put in the effort because they thought they were going to win. They thought they thought they weren't worried and everything like that. And it took that loss. It took that stress of losing to learn from their mistake and go change. And then your next fight, you see them and they're just dominating. You're like, oh man, they somehow went from like, you know, they just quit in their, their first fight or their first time at the title. And now they became a completely different person. And it can go the other way. It's like when you've had such a good career and you've done it, you've grinded out for 20, 30 years, whatever sport it is. And you just like, don't really want to do it anymore. You start purposely like maybe making yourself lazy. Like, oh no, I don't need to train today. Like I have experience or, oh no, I don't need to worry about my weight cutting this and that. And you get maybe a little bit complacent, a little bit lazy. And then when it comes fight time, then you might just be like, like you said with Chael Sonnen, I just don't want to be here anymore. And so like, he's just like, he's done with it. He quit. And sometimes that is when the person needs to know that it's, it's time to retire. It's time to move on. They don't, they don't have that fire anymore. So I think it can go both ways that you can change. And sometimes it is that stress. Like we've been talking about this whole time. There's good stress. There's bad stress. Just like when you train, you're trying to put stress on your body. So your body can then adapt and come back better. I think there's some to that when you have to put stress on yourself in certain situations, whether it's your job or your family or competing to then maybe make some change and come back better. Um, I, I'm glad you actually gave that point there. It's a good one where the stress of it in terms of rivalries and competitions and for all sports, you keep coming to scratch and getting better and getting better and going into battle and you feel the anxiety and, Oh, it gets me going and you're doing better and better. And eventually, and back to the wall, you've never quit. You won all these huge battles, but then there does come a point, a tipping point where somebody who was always the warrior on the platform, on the, on the field or whatever, on the court, that same person can just lose and be like, I'm burnt out and it's not there anymore. And it didn't happen in training where they found out or in between competitions. Sometimes it happens in game, that realization. And when you see your hero quit, it's tough. And you know it, and you might make a, you might, you know, wow, they got, wow, they're a little injured. They were a little, but in your heart of hearts, you're like, now you witnessed it though. You witnessed them break. Though. That's tough. You watch enough sport. It's going to happen. You I've seen it where some guys, I mean, MMA, where some people, some Johnny come late, didn't see the rest of his career, watch the last couple of fights. I'm like, yeah, he's a quitter. No, he's no, 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 no. You don't throw away his whole career like that. You don't get to come in at the, at the very tail end and then judge him by his last couple of fights. You don't want to see the last two Muhammad Ali fights, I promise you. But he's the greatest of all time. You know, so don't tell me about his last two fights and don't critique him. But um, it's true. It's such a, a fine line. And uh, the pressure and everything that makes you rise to the occasion, also we are all human. And it's there's something very awe-inspiring about somebody who has the longevity to keep coming to scratch with that enthusiasm somehow year after year, decade after decade, it becomes like, Oh my God, like, how are you still finding the motivation? Um, but yeah, for sure. It's a, uh, I, I can agree with that. Um, I also wanted to bring it back to, in terms of powerlifting, you know, we're talking a lot about competition and how important it is. Um, and what it does for innovations. Look at when we talk about programming, you know, talking about innovation sharing with, with these companies earlier, when I kicked off the show, once powerlifting, and social media came onto powerlifting, the innovation sharing we had in terms of programming through the roof. I don't got to tell you guys, you've seen it before social media. The progress we made is very slow. 
you know, but once social media came, not only did the level of competition get bigger because the depth got bigger, the more people competing, the bigger the talent pool, but also innovation sharing in terms of, I mean, this is competition where we had coaching services be like, listen, let's share, let's share ideas. Um, so that was a huge boom for us in terms of competition. I think that's directly related with social media and with competition. But what is happening now? What are the repercussions to 2020? We had no major competitions. What happens if 2021, we have no major competitions? What happens to the number of lifters that lost their fire? What happens to the, the level of competition all around? Is there repercussions in terms of the competition that we're going to feel? If we go two years straight and Nat, Raw Nationals US and Europeans doesn't happen and the world champions don't happen. So I think we'll still see the sharing of information. Um, and this is a perfect example of that cooperation where every individual coaching company is acting in their self interest of, you know, kind of information as marketing almost is, is the way that it's, it's been lately, you know, you give information, uh, but that information serves to both show your competence as a coach and to say like, Hey, these are the values we hold, you know, look at us. This is the research that we do. These are the original thoughts that we're having, but also because you're putting it out there, it's helping out your rivals because they see that same information too. Um, but back to the athlete side, like there are going to be consequences to the lack of competitions. There have already. I think there's a lot of people that drop off the sport and maybe will never come back. Um, and I'm worried about that too. Like I think the high level athletes will probably find a way to train. They have found a way to train, you know, in home gyms. And I've ha I have athletes who've built gyms out of wood, you know, like it's, you, you get by. Um, but there are, there are the low level people who are kind of casually interested or kind of just starting to see um, people powerlift on social media and getting really excited about that and gyms close and that fire just dies and maybe we'll never come back. And so um, there's probably going to be a loss of membership and that lack of membership means a lack of money for the Federation to do things that, that they need to do. And so um, I am worried about some of the, the longer term effects and, and maybe it'll take a while to bounce back. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think the top people are going to leave, but the vast majority of people who power lift are within the first three years. And it's those people that are obviously going to be the future future when it's because of the talent pool we have now, there was a time when everybody who's at the top right now first entered the sport. And if we have a generation, if this lasts long enough, we have a generation that the comp the amount of competitors shrinks for sure, not right off the bat, because the top people are going to probably still remain, but the years to come in terms of the progress. Yeah, that's that's where we're going to feel it the most. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why, you know, boxing in the 50s, we had bigger stars than now because they had four times the amount of registered boxers. What happens when you shrink that in over the next couple of years, though, the year one, year two, year three lifters, if they lose enthusiasm because we had them, but then they only lose them for two years straight. That's our future. You know, we need to replace the old guard. The young eat the old and we need to keep innovating. Um, so yeah, we become a little bit stagnant. You guys want to, uh, Arian, I think we talked about this before. Kathy, do you have feelings on that or what do you think? Yeah, for the most part, I agree with Bryce. It also kind of depends. So like, for instance, here in Canada, like there's nothing going on. So if you are someone who hasn't fallen to another sport, then likely you if you still interest, likely you can come pick, pick it back up. 
but I don't know. It is hard, and like we'll see what happens. But well, look, we we had zero competitions in Ontario. Yeah. Cafweeds. Mm-hmm. If we're talking about um, competition, pushing people to reach heights, my man hasn't had to peak in in in, in ever, man. It's been forever yeah. since he had to peak, since he had to reevaluate, since he had that pressure. When you don't have the pressure. I mean, even just directly. Now, let's say this happens with Caffrey, but someone else in the U.S. is in a state where they didn't fall back and they did compete three times or a couple times last year. There could be a difference. If you don't mm, think the pressure, the pressure makes you train. We just talked about it. So um, we'll see what happens. Irene, did you want to add anything to this? or I, I was just going to go like the, the overall idea of this episode when Bryce brought it up and I was like re- researching and looking into stuff like that. There's there's a couple of different aspects to it that we've discussed. One is like the, yeah, the businesses working together, innovating that kind of stuff. And you can see that both on the coaching side and the lifter side. So like for the coaching side, like you said, companies may talk to each other and say like, Hey, what system are you using for payments? What system are you using to like send out your programming? How are you doing it? Um, even Bryce made a coaches Facebook group a long time ago. We're not that active in it, but we do post in there. Sometimes people say like, Hey, what are you using for, for video calls? Or like, Hey, watch out for this lifter. They're just like stealing programs or money or this and that. So we help each other so that we all rise together. And the same thing, the lifters can do that because some lifters, even if you do have a coach, you may bounce ideas off of each other. Like, Hey, what do you think about this protocol or how have you experienced this exercise? I see you posting up and everything like that. And you may help each other out. And again, for all the lifters to rise up together, then the other aspect of it is more of like the worthy rival that we said. And if there's no competition, can we have a worthy, worthy rival? Can we push each other? I think you can do it for a certain time period because of the internet. You see people post things on Instagram, like, oh man, I saw Ashton do this squad in the gym. It motivates me to keep training so I can like keep up with them and stuff. But how long can that go? Everyone has a different level of drive and everyone's going to fall off at some point because yeah, what are, you, what are you training for? You're not peaking. You're just like, then it becomes, okay, what are you just seeing on the internet? Um, and then there's also the aspect of, it's not necessarily that, that they lost their drive maybe, or that like, some people may see this as like a negative person, like, oh, they never won and stuff. But some people's lives has changed. Some people are having a different job. Some people may have like bought a house and are renovating. Some people may have a family. You have kids. Now you haven't trained. Then maybe your, your, your lifestyle has changed. Maybe you don't have time to train. And you're just like, now I've fallen so far behind that maybe it's not that important to me anymore. There's other things that are important to me. Like, like for me, like the best raw squat I did, I'll just go off of one, one lift is like a 500 pound raw squat. And then I think now, okay, now maybe at 405. So like, do I really want to put the effort just to get back to where I was and then keep going to try and compete with everyone? Or like, maybe now my goals are different. My goal is now meet directing and coaching and stuff like that. And I'm not worried about breaking that 500 pound squat anymore. Mm. Yeah. Well said. Um, I want to talk about before we move into, um, there was a, I had talked about a golds medals in the Olympics by a weightlifter versus a super bowl rings and what made, um, you know, what was more meaningful, but I don't want to start moving in a direction off of this topic. It's still talking about competition and, and, and evaluating, but before we move into that, cause we're kind of moving into a closer, is there some more points you wanted to, to bring up Bryce? I know you had some quotes and you had some points. Did we touch up on everything? You had a couple of juicy quotes here that I loved. Yeah. Those were just kind of add some flavor, but I think as far as the substance go, like we've, 
we've really gone into the nuts and bolts of rivalry. Some of the good parts, some of the bad parts. It allows you to rise to the occasion. Um, there are some negative parts. I really enjoyed that. But just to kind of show the severity of how this affects people, the two quotes were, I'll follow him to the ends of the earth, just showing the, the, the impact it has on a person, you know, to just, it, it's not, there was another article that I looked at that says a rivalry isn't about competition. It's a, it's a dance between, you know, the two, they're, they're linked individuals, you know, for a, a long period of time. And, you know, it's not a relationship, but it's certainly a type of relationship between two people, you know, that, that lasts a longer um, period of time. And this other one was actually a quote from a movie, but I think a, a fight movie. I was prepared to die to beat you that day. That's the effect you have on me. And it felt great. You know, I, I love that. I, okay. So I'll wrap it up with that previous, not wrap up the whole episode, but the it, it ties in with what I said earlier. Frazier won the first fight. Ali won the rematch. And in the last match, they fight and again, they both had to level up. It's one and one. And this is going to be dramatic conclusion. And Muhammad Ali wins when the ref stops the fight and doesn't allow Joe Frazier to come out or the corner stopped the fight. Actually, sorry. It doesn't allow Joe Frazier to come out for the fifth round, 15th round. And they talked to Muhammad Ali afterwards. And Ali said, that was the closest thing to death I've ever experienced. And if he came out for that last round, I think I was going to quit myself. That was the level that they pushed each other right to the very brink. And Ali's like, it's hard for me to even describe. And when there's an emotional attachment like that, no, Instagram videos aren't going to keep you going. Um, you know, there's nothing like the actual competition. The, you can watch somebody on Instagram. You'll get some motivation for a little while. I think you're right, Aaron, like for the first little bit. But as time goes, if two years pass and you haven't had to make weight, show up at the venue, have your parents or family in the front, you see them in the weigh-ins and you're both looking at each other, like, fuck, here we are. And you're warming up in the back and they're on their platform. You're on your platform. And then you see your handler look to you and say, Bryce, five out. And you know what that means. And you're getting ready and the anxiety's hitting. And then Bryce, you're on deck. Let's go. Ch start chalking your back, buddy. You'd start chalking your hands and you feel that. And you got your tunes playing and you hand your, you hand your, your phone with the headphones over to your handler. And you hit that platform. You lay it all out on the line like that. <laughs> Now, let's say this happens twice. The first one you miss by five kilos and he gets the win and the next one's coming up. You can't fucking tell me you're not pulling out all stops. Be like, not this time, buddy. And then you beat him by five kilos. There's nothing like that during that year. Now, let's take all that away for two years straight. And you're just looking at his training videos like he had a really good squat day. He had a really he had a PR triple that day. That's not good. That's not going to make you. It's not going to do it, though. So, yeah. Okay, Arian's raising his hand. Let's go, buddy. Let's get in there. Let, I knew this was coming, no, bud. I'm no, ready no. for you. No, I just want to add a little bit to this end of this idea because, I mean, maybe some people will take what we're saying here to the extreme and like, oh, you should always be comparing yourself to others and my competition is going to make me better and everything like that. Um, and there, there may be some benefits to not comparing yourself for elite level lifters, but also just talking about all the rest of the people that are watching this or listening to this, and they're never going to be the national champion. They're never going to be the world champion is 
most of us are never going to be that for us. Regular people, just the interesting quote that I have is someone said, if one finds joy in breaking their own limitations, then they will not have time to compare themselves with anyone else. And so for, especially for us, regular people, if you're focused on yourself and you're finding happiness and fun from improving yourself and like, you know, becoming better at a skill, getting stronger, putting on muscle, being more in shape, being healthy and this and that breaking your own limitations, then you don't even have time to worry about, Oh, what's this other person doing on Instagram? What's this other person doing in competition? And you're going to have drive for a longer time. You're not, you're not worried about this one person to have to beat this year and this and that you're looking at, I want to improve myself for the next 10, 20, 30 years. Well, let, let me, let me give you a pushback, bud. Okay. You push, I shove. All right, bud. Let's get into a shoving match here. Um, what I would say is this isn't just for the elite though. I think if you're ranked 20th and you show up in a competition, you don't got to be fighting for a medal. You don't got to be fighting for anything. That doesn't have to be necessarily a rivalry. Um, competition doesn't necessarily, we got into rivals and we talked about it a lot, but it's not even just like that. Like even when the number a where um, two different opposing companies work together and actually achieve the overall goal. So it's not always rivalry like that. We really focus a lot on it because I think it's, it's a better storyline, but we've seen in in the past, whether it's business where, you know, two companies actually work together and the overall goal is easier to achieve that way. When you show up to a competition, you could view it as I think you need the markers. If you're just training to get better for yourself, that's great. If every now and then the reason why you show up at a competition, it doesn't matter if I'm ranked 25th, I'm not going for a national title or anything. Just having other people there and other people are lifting. It's a little bit of a gut check time. Good. You did whatever you did in the gym and it's different. But signing on that dotted line for, for that meet registration, showing up and it doesn't matter who's there watching, whatever. There is, you will raise your game and how I feel when I leave. In competition, if I didn't put my best foot forward, then I'm reevaluating a whole lot bigger. And it didn't matter if I won a national title, if I came in 15th. I mean, I've been to Worlds and not even come close to sniffing nothing. And I'll be like, I got to reevaluate some things here. I want to do this better. I want to do that better. You can get better through checks and balances, auditing. There's a good thing about auditing yourself so you're not having delusions. You can get better through auditing yourself. If you want to never audit yourself, you can, you can still improve. I, I 100% believe you can continuously improve and you're better off. But if you don't audit yourself, you never fully know where the checks and balances fall if you can be doing better. That's all we're saying. That's what coopetition means. I don't know if I keep saying, I, I think I've changed the way I said that word like 17 times in this podcast, but I, <laughs> I hit it at least once correctly. But um, I think this is my interpretation. Let me know. Let, let, maybe this is how we wrap up this talk of it in terms of, that's my takeaway is it's a form of auditing yourself realistically, having a realistic check. And then if you take that realistic check, you can make adjustments and get better. But if you never audit yourself, doesn't have to be a national level. Regular people can audit themselves, but there's nothing like competition to audit you because someone else is there. And someone's like, oh, you thought you were doing this, but you're actually insert, insert your answer. Is there a better way of auditing yourself than competition? In business, in anything. I'll wait. There you go, Arian. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all agree with you. All right, listen, fellas. I, let, let's. I want to. I want to wrap it up. One last discussion here about. Um, it ties in. I ran it, and we got tons of DMs on it. And then another another uh, barbend, uh, excellent Instagram page, um, posted. 
What is more impressive to you guys? If you win three gold medals for weightlifting in the Olympics, or you win, is it seven Super Bowl rings in the NFL? Now here's, is it seven? I, I don't want to be the asshole. I'm not a football guy. Arian, you, you, seven? Okay. I got the thumbs up here. He's shy all of a sudden, but I got the thumbs up here. Okay. Here's the two, here's the two different placements. Here's, here's some arguments. Sure. Some people have said, well, the Olympics is, uh, Olympic weightlifting is worldwide. All over the world, people do Olympic weightlifting because it's the Olympics. All these nations are represented. So he is, in fact, a world champion. Some people gone way too far and said, Brady is a hometown hero. He's just a local. He's playing a sport that nobody else in the world really plays. Flip side, you could say, my friends, you could gather your best from the talent pool worldwide in Olympic weightlifting, and it won't be as much focused as America has on football, and you won't have as much investment and sponsorships and push forward the best as we have Americans doing American football. What, what do you guys think? What is more impressive to you? Winning three Olympic gold medals or seven Super Bowl rings with Tom Brady? One's an individual sport and the other one's a team sport as well. Who wants to go first? It, it's a, All right. Go ahead, Bryce. <laughs> Get in there, Bryce. Get in there. All right. So I like to think about these things like my my framework for thinking about problems is like I try to get to the base of of what we're talking about. It's like what is competitiveness? Like what does it mean to be the most competitive? And I'm thinking like part of it has to do with how many people you're compared against. Um, so are, are you compared against 5,000 people? So you're one in 5,000. Well, that's great. Or are you one in 50,000? Well, that seems to be even better, you know, so you're, you're more of an outlier, right? Your skill uh, in, in whatever thing, it means more if the more people you're compared against. Um, but that individual aspect of it has to mean something versus a team, you know, your ability to win in a team sport is now distributed uh, against a lot of other people. So you have help versus an individual sport. It's literally just you. So I don't have an answer here. Um, but I think, I think the world aspect of it would matter. But when we're talking about weightlifting, like we all know, there's not a lot of weightlifters out there. Um, mm. And there's a ton of football people trying to vie to get on one of these pro football teams. So um, probably as far as competitiveness goes, um, there are more people who want to be really good at football, even though we're just talking about one country versus, you know, the world for weightlifting. Sounds like you did make a pick though. <laughs> Sounds like you did make a pick. What, what about you, Arian? I, I mean, I kind of have to hedge my bets like Bryce too is, it's, it's a very tough comparison because there's a lot of variables. One is like, like Bryce said, it's an individual sport versus a team sport. It's also, yeah, like the professional sport in the U S versus a international sport in the Olympics. There's also the aspect of, even though Tom Brady doesn't play defense, the sport of uh, football, 
there is a defensive aspect. You can control the other side versus in weightlifting. You can only do what you can do. Whoever shows up and does whatever they can do, does it. There's no controlling what the other uh, side does. So it's very difficult. The other aspect is that the Super Bowl is every year. The Olympics is every four years. So for the Olympics, you have to wait four years. You have to come back and do it again. And who knows how many injuries or things happen during that time versus the NFL. There's times where the Patriots won three times in four years because they had such a dominant team. They can go back every year and rack up wins. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's really difficult to compare. I, I, I saw a lot of the reasons people gave, I feel like they're like so certain of the reasons when it's not that certain, like Bryce said, when you have a professional sport, whether it's NFL and NHL, MLB, whatever it is, NBA, when there's so much money, people are from all over the world are going to want to come. You have people in the NBA that came from Europe and then came from Asia, you have people from NFL that came from different countries and regions, uh, baseball, a lot of, uh, Latin America, South America, they come because that's where the money is. And, and some of them are the best in the world. And so even though it's in the U S some of the best in the world, football players come to the U S so they can play in the NFL. Um, and with that kind of money, there's a lot more competitive. Like you said, there's not that many weightlifters. They might make money for a short period of time. Then they replace you with the next person. And then you're off on your own. You got to figure out a new way to make money. Uh, so it, it's, it's really difficult comparison. If I have, I had to pick, I would say just because the amount of money and the amount of competition and everything in the NFL and that Brady was able to do it with multiple teams, like multiple players, rosters in the Patriots, and then also switching to another team and producing a new roster and doing it again with a new coach and everything. I think I would have to go with uh, Tom Brady's more impressive. He, he has more rings, I believe than any NFL team. Yeah, he does. Hmm. I've seen that. Can I think I- what, I think what pushes it, pushes it over the line for me is the fact that when you're comparing the dominance between the sports, so you, you look at Tom Brady and you like, obviously with the Patriots, like he dominated for however long. He had like six, six rings with the Patriots. And his first year with a new team, new roster, new coach, he comes in and does it again. So like as a football player, like he's proved that like, you know, he had his roster with the Patriots, but then he can come in with a new roster and show his dominance, show his, like, you know, willing to win, show his, you know, his feel as a captain on the field to bring his winning attitude to another team as well and do it again. So, like, I'm not taking anything away from the Olympian because, obviously, like, he's on a, you know, global, like, a international scale, and he's won three Olympics, so it's huge. But then the other thing we don't talk about is he's still, comp- like, the Olympians still competing in other world championships that we haven't heard of other than the Olympics. Like, they still have other weightlifting conferences, which I'm sure he's won. So that'd probably inflate his like titles up too. But ultimately I'm going to Tom Brady just because I think the dominance is crazy. Shit, man. I'm going to be honest with you fellas. I was going Brady, but this is going to be a total. What is What are we looking at here? A total, total whitewash. This guy, this guy, I was thinking somebody might do because powerlifting obviously has far more in common with Olympic weightlifting, but what, Bryce said really does like when, when he was saying, I get it that Olympic weightlifting is quote unquote, more of a global sport. It's in the Olympics. Um, due to the amount of Americans that play football and like, like area, and it said the amount of money, it'll change your life money involved with football. If you have any kind of inclination to make it, you're going to go dive in. Cause this is changing everything for you. And then what Caffey said were, 
I get it, it's a team sport, but you did on multiple teams now. So it's not just easily, it's not as easily. So you guys all collectively have hit some really good points. And I like to be the contrarian, but if you put a gun to my head and said, what would you rather be, seven-time Super Bowl champion or three-time Olympic gold medalist? There's not a question. I'm going to go to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl champ, I'm going to be Tom Brady. If I'm honest, if it's that easy, you're like, you can live whatever accomplishments and walk away with it. Just accomplishment-wise, which one would you want? Super Bowls. Yeah, you have think- a good life. Uh have a good life with those paychecks. That's for uh, sure. It's, it's not bad. It, it doesn't hurt. <laughs> and and we, we, might, we might be biased, like being like, you know, from the U.S. and from Canada. And we maybe watch like, you know, the pro sports here more than Olympics and stuff like that. Right. Whereas people from other continents, maybe they don't watch NFL at all. And the and Olympics is bigger to them. Um, but also even within just the Olympics, comparing Olympians head to head. I think people don't really watch the weightlifting as much and don't see their achievements as much. People gravitate more towards like, you know, gymnastics, track and field and swimming. And so that's why people like see like Michael Phelps is like the best Olympian of all time, not like whoever wins uh, weightlifting three times. So I think even within mm-hmm. their own, their own sport or their own Olympics, then that there's some uh, people that are more deserving. And on the flip side for the NFL, not only what did Tom Brady go through this year, he went through, you know, Drew Brees, elite quarterback. He went through Aaron Rodgers, elite quarterback. He went through um, Patrick Mahomes, had just one elite quarterback. And then looking at how many rings do all these other quarterbacks have? Like Rodgers has one, Brees has one, Mahomes has one, Eli and Peyton each have two. The next highest guys are at four rings and they're from decades ago from like the old generation. So he's just dominating this current generation of all these elite quarterbacks, breaking all these records. He's like two or three times more rings than the rest of them. Bryce, you want to say something? Yeah. Just uh, if we want to see this change, like we got to pay these Olympians a little bit more, like they're making pennies and like, they're not able to make this and they're literally world champions. Uh, not, not only world champions, but Olympic medalists is like, you got to be a world champion just to get to the Olympics. And, and they're just not paid well. And it's really shitty to see as I watched this documentary about like, um, it was about mental health of Olympians, but it talked on like how little money they have from their um, member nations to take care of, uh, you know, basic things and stuff. And it's just funny to see that on the one side and like, you know, you could be like a B level football player and make like a million dollars a year. And it's like, what's going on here? Yeah. Let me add this one piece though. Okay. I'm going to tell you right now, if, if we swap Olympians and you tell me, do you want to be Tom Brady or Usain Bolt? It's not even a fucking question. I want to be the fastest man in the world. He makes oodles millions himself with the, with the sponsorship deals. I read his autobiography phenomenal and just the accolade of saying I am the fastest man in the world. Brady and, and it's all me. And if you ever watched Usain Bolt when he walks up and that fucking arena is packed and you could cut the tension with a knife before that pistol goes and it is all or nothing in under 10 seconds and you make history in the history books worldwide transcends. You don't need to know the rules. It's running down the lane. You don't need to be involved in football. Are you a hockey nation, a football nation across everything? It's speed. Who's the fastest man in the world? It's, it's, it's everything throughout history. You don't have to tell me about a sport they used to play. You tell me it was a foot race. I got you. I got you. I'm on you. You're the fastest man in history. 
I would take Usain Bolt over Tom Brady. Let me just quickly get your re- – anybody swapping out if it's Usain Bolt, the Olympian? Because I'll take Usain Bolt. Money's I'll go Bolt. Bro. I'll go Bolt. Uh, and the, for the reasons why, because it's, it's throughout hi- historical, across the world, everything, you're Usain Bolt. Caffey, Arian, one last chance. Yeah, I think that one's definitely a closer thing, not just from not necessarily the achievement or how many Olympic Olympic uh, rings he won or, or medals he won, but just like, yeah, like you said, the the amount of people that know who you are and the amount of money and like, yeah, there's the claim of being the fastest person in the world versus, you know, being the best quarterback or the best NFL player. I think it's like, yeah, it's, it's another level. Um, and there's something to be said. Not, not, I mean, the quarterbacks are well known as far as like, if you see Tom Brady, you know who it is. If you see Peyton Manning, you know who it is. But for the other players in these sports where you're more covered, you could be like, you know, you can meet a offensive lineman in person and not know who they are. And they might make millions because do you cover with the mask? They're, they don't have the same kind of fame. But for any any sprinter, Usain Bolt, everyone knows his face because you see him. It, everything is open. You know who he is. Yeah, you know his moves. You know he's the fastest man in the world. You know what records he's broken, everything like that. So, I mean, I think I have to go with that, too. Just like. It's almost like being a superhero. You know, you want to have super speed. Well, you could be Usain Bolt. Or do you want to throw a fucking object to somebody's numbers? Uh, that's, that's that's not a great superpower. Listen, the guy's last name was Bolt. God knew. I, well, his parents named him. What the hell am I talking about? But still, it's, it's such a good last name for somebody super fast. Caffrey, what do you think, man? That would be the only Olympic uh, sport I'd swap out for. Not even Aquaman, Michael Phelps? I don't want to make this no. thing go on too long. But you know no, what? Just to be the fastest, fastest runner. Not a lot of people. Give a hundred sh- meter. Not a lot of people. The only one swap out. Not a lot of people give a shit about swimming worldwide. Let's be honest. But every I picked Bolt for a reason because everybody races. Listen, fellas, thank you very much. Uh, much appreciated, Bryce. This was a phenomenal topic to bring up. We got in some good discussions and we we hit pretty much on all c- cylinders here. Um, much appreciated. Good luck, man. Bryce, well, what's next for you? Nationals, you if, it actually, uh, if it actually goes down. Nationals, <laughs> if it actually goes down. And um, if anyone's listening, obviously give details in terms of how they can contact you for coaching, et cetera. Yeah, our website is thestrengthathlete.com. We've got some free programs and a few options for coaching there. And uh, I post random musings on my Instagram at Bryce underscore TSA. Beautiful. Arian, you want to do the same? Sure. My website is powerliftingcoaching.com. I also have free programs and they're way better than prices. Oh, <laughs> oh rivalry. rivalry. <laughs> Here we are. Here we are. Full and, circle. And, and on the gram, on the grams, you can find me at coach Arian K. And Caffrey. On Instagram, you can find me at King Caff. And in terms of quad, Competition. Go check out everyone on this podcast. <laughs> there it is. Somebody had to take the the nice. Well, he's Canadian, right? So we had to we had to take the polite route. Thank you, gentlemen. Much appreciated. And until next time, signing off. See ya.